Good morning, friends. As you listen to today's message, I'm probably on my way driving to Lord of Life Church in La Fox, Illinois, um, the church I was privileged to pastor for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years. Uh, after worship this morning, I'll also be baptizing a little baby, and that's always great pleasure as well. And it's at the baptism we know that uh, the Spirit is alive and well. And so today my message is titled, Pour Out the Spirit. My base text is Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Now the prophet Joel, writing approximately 830 years before Jesus came, predicted a day would come when God would pour out his Spirit on all people. In fact, Joel 2.28 contains a direct promise from God that says, I will pour out my Spirit. Well, let's break that sentence down just for a moment. I, that's the sovereignty of God. Will, that's the determination of God. Pour out, that's the generosity of God. And my spirit, well, that's the personality of God. And this is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. This is how God ignites his kingdom and how he ignites his kingdom life in his people. He pours out his spirit on them and they're never the same again. When God promises to pour out the Spirit, this is more than just a trickle. It means that God plans to release the floodgates of heaven into the human heart. And no man can do this on his own. Now, I can preach for hours, but I cannot pour out God's Spirit upon you. This is not the result of church membership or putting in the time or parking in the pew. Uh, This is God doing what only God can do. Now, we individually go to God for this outpouring, and he must, but he must come to us with the power of the Spirit. Unless this happens, we, and I mean you and I, will never be changed. And when that does happen, we will never, ever be the same again. So today, let's consider this amazing promise of the Spirit from at least five different perspectives. Now, first of all, there is a promise for the last days. When Joel records this promise, he uses the phrase, and afterward, in verse 28, to indicate that the blessing of God's Spirit comes after God's judgment on the unbelieving people of Judah. Now, 800 years later, Peter quotes this verse from Joel 2 at the beginning of his magnificent sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and you can read that in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon the early disciples to begin to speak with other tongues, declaring the Lord's greatness in languages that they did not know. Now, of course, some onlookers thought they were drunk, but Peter said, that's impossible. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's way too early to be drunk. Now, Peter then gave the right explanation. What happened in Jerusalem, he said, was a fulfillment of what Joel had predicted eight centuries earlier. And he quoted this in Acts 2.16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, when Peter quotes Joel, he changes one part of the quotation. Where Jesus said, or where Joel said afterwards, Peter said, in the last days. Now, in the New Testament, the last days generally refers to the entire period of time, starting with Pentecost and ending with the second coming of Jesus to a new heaven and a new earth. See, Pentecost inaugurates the last days. It marks the start of the final chapter of human history. It doesn't matter that the last days have already lasted 2,000 years. I mean, God just doesn't count the way we do. I mean, think of it this way. What Joel predicted in 830 B.C., Peter says, has come to fulfillment in about A.D. 33. That fulfillment continues into, you know, in the 2,000 years since then and will not be complete until Jesus returns. 
Now, you cannot understand Joel 2 and Acts 2 apart from God's great purpose to empower his people with the Spirit so that they will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, one of my favorite Bible passages says that very plainly. You will receive power, Greek word dunamis, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, Greek word martyr, martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. See, God never pours out his spirit simply for entertainment or to cause strange emotional manifestations. Now, this can certainly happen on occasion. I've witnessed that. But that's beside the point. God pours out his spirit so that we will be bold witnesses for Jesus, starting where we are and going to the very ends of the earth. So it is that if someone asks, are we living in the last days? Well, the answer is, yeah, because the last days started 2,000 years ago. And as we come ever closer, we can also believe that we may be living in the literal last days before the coming of the Lord. Now, second, this is a promise for all people. As Jesus said in Matthew 26:41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because sin resides in our flesh, that is where we fight our spiritual battles. Here the Lord promises to send his spirit at the very point of our personal weakness. So I ask, do you struggle with certain sins that cause you to feel unworthy of the Lord? Well, God promises to pour out his spirit in the very place where you struggle. He not only forgives us in Jesus' name, but he also sends the Spirit to help us walk with him. That's a pretty humbling thought. He doesn't say, to your strength, I will end by strength. But he says, on your flesh, with all of its weakness, I will pour out on my Spirit. And note that he promises to pour out his Spirit on all people, no longer given only to spiritual leaders in Israel. The Spirit now indwells everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to take a little bit backwards to the book of Numbers. Numbers 11 records a, a really remarkable story from the days when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Now, because the Jews continually complained to Moses, he, he just got, he got exasperated. And he told the Lord he just couldn't lead these people anymore. That's in verse 14. Well, God responded by telling Moses to call 70 of Israel's elders to come to the tent of meeting where he, God, would take the spirit that was upon Moses and put that same spirit upon the 70 elders so that they could help Moses lead the people. Now, when the spirit came upon those laymen, they began to prophesy before the Lord. Uh, that meant they publicly praised the name of the Lord. It was, it was like preaching, but more than that. I mean, the spirit so filled them that all 70 men began to praise the Lord together. It, it must have been quite a scene. However, Two of the elders remained in the camp and didn't get to the tent of the meeting. Their names were Eldad and Medad. A couple of good names in case you've got a relative expecting twins. And even though they stayed behind, the Spirit came upon them and they began prophesying in the midst of the camp, which no doubt shook everyone up. Now a young man ran to Moses to tell him what was happening. Before he could say anything, Joshua spoke up and urged Moses to make Eldad and Medad stop prophesying. Now, Joshua thought things were kind of spinning a little bit out of control. And if Moses did not take a firm hand, you'd have ordinary people standing up and prophesying left and right. And you couldn't have that. At least that's what Joshua thought. But instead of telling the two men to stop, Moses said to Joshua, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. See, this is exactly what Joel was predicting. A day would come when all God's people would experience the power of the Spirit. See, what Moses wished for, what Joel predicted, what Peter explained, 
is now available to every Christ follower. See, that's the whole point of this text. So don't make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit's power is only for religious professionals. The promise is for you. It's not just graduates of the seminary or Bible college. You don't have to pass an exam in Greek or Hebrew or Syriac or Aramaic or all those other languages. We should say with Moses, would that all God's people were prophets. Now, I think some people have figured this out better than we have. They understand that the church belongs to the people, not just to the leaders, and that the true work of the ministry belongs to the people themselves. Now, may the Lord hasten the day when every person in the church I attend and in your church speaks boldly and publicly in the power of the Spirit to testify about Jesus. Now, third, this is a promise for all groups. Joel 2, 29 says, It will come about after this that I will pour my Spirit out on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Now, you look at that and you have to say, the Holy Spirit does not discriminate. We're the ones who discriminate. You see, we got our little groups and we tend to stay in those little groups, our little so-called holy huddles. We hang out with people who are like us or in some way or another. We tend to associate with those who think like us, act like us, dress like us, talk like us, walk like us, speak like us, look like us, and maybe even smell like us. Who knows? We divide ourselves by age, sex, race, skin color, language, culture, clothing, education, housing, income, ethnic origin, national origin, you name it. We divide and then we subdivide. And we're so good at it that we do it without even thinking. We gravitate to PLU, people like us. And we don't hang out with people who don't fit our profile. But friends, God is not like that. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of sex. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of age. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of social class. Even on my servants, I will pour out my spirit. And the word servants really translates a Hebrew word that means slaves. You see, friends, God doesn't pick his friends only from the better parts of town. He'll hang out with anyone who will hang out with him. He'll be friends with anybody who wants to be friends with him. And when it comes to pouring out his spirit, he does not favor the rich or the famous. He's perfectly willing to pour out his spirit on the poorest of the poor. You see, our God just does not play favorites. Now, i got to tell you, this is kind of personal. I especially like the part where God says also that old men will dream dreams. You know, I think they dream because their work on earth is almost done and because they're not afraid to die. So they're now free to dream big dreams of what God might do after they're gone or until they leave. See, as men and women pass their 70th year and move on towards 75 and then 80 and 85, they, they're increasingly freed of the earthly burdens they carried for so many decades. I mean, that freedom often gives birth to big dreams for the Lord. That's so why I'm so very happy to be a part of another big dream with a church plant we're, we're doing called Restore. So if you really want to find the real action today, you need to go out to the generational edges, to the young and to the old. And I say that because the young have visions because they don't know any better. The old dream dreams because their work is mostly done. We need the energy of the young and the faith of the old if the church is to be all God wants it to be in the 21st century. 
Now, a few years back, I came upon a statement by one of the leaders of the so-called emerging church or the emergent church. Uh, he, he was asked, what will the church of the future need in order to be successful? This was his answer. He said, retired missionaries may become a huge asset to the emerging church. And I thought, boy, oh boy, that guy's got it right. I mean, that's a hugely important statement that goes right along with the spirit of Joel too. It would be a great thing if in the future, younger leaders could possibly partner with retired missionaries who still have a burning heart to see God do great things. Now, one final point we're going to move on here, and that's that these dreams and visions of Joel 2 and Acts 2 are not given by God simply for our personal enjoyment or in order to make us feel closer to God. In the Bible, God gave dreams and visions at crucial moments in history in order to advance his cause on the earth. For example, when God saw a vision of the man from Macedonia in Acts chapter 16, it was a missionary call. The guy said, Paul, come and help us. The dreams and visions we need today are not about how to make more money, but how we can shake the world with the good news of Jesus. Now, here's my fourth point. This is a promise of coming judgment. Joel 2 continues in verse 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, we might be tempted to skip these verses or to think they aren't connected or somehow don't apply to us, but that'd be a, that'd be a huge mistake. These verses describe a series of cataclysmic events just before Jesus comes to judge the earth. These verses were not fulfilled in Joel's day. They were not fulfilled on Pentecost, and they have not yet been fulfilled. You know, it's easy or natural for us to think of God in these terms. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, we'd like to think our God, <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, has matured. We'd like to think that he's learned how to control his templar, temple and overlook our sin. Or We, we kind of wish that hellfire and brimstone stuff, well, <laughs> I wish he'd just quit talking about that. And so it helps to remember that the Bible writers, unlike most modern men and women, did not shrink from using fear as a proper motivation. See, true preaching always involves the negative. We cannot preach the God of love if we don't also preach the God who judges sin and punishes sinners. If we do not preach the truth of God's judgment, we present the warped gospel to the world that cannot save the lost. Now, here's my fifth point. This is a promise of free salvation. Joel 2.32 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. This is the flip side of the previous truths. If God will judge sinners, and he will, he also invites them to be saved from their sin. This text is so crucial that it actually appears in the Bible three times. Joel 2.28, Acts 2.21, and Romans 10, verse 13. See, God always intended to make a universal offer of salvation through his death and the resurrection of his son. The outpouring of the Spirit means the offer of salvation now goes to every person on earth. And remember that everyone means everyone. Now, as I pointed out earlier, the young and old have something to teach us about that. God is more willing to pour out his Spirit than we are to receive his outpouring. The problem is never with God. It's always with us. See, God has more he wants to do in our midst. I mean, there are new adventures in store for us if we'll just kind of catch the wave of the Spirit. But some people might say, well, in the last days, hard times will come. (laughs) Yeah, build a bridge and get over it. I mean, that's true. And in many ways, hard times are already here. 
But God also declares in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised that the last days will be days of trouble and blessing, kind of all mixed together. It's always been that way for God's people, and it's going to be that way until Jesus comes again. You know, the terrorists may strike again. They probably will. God says, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. The love of many will grow cold. God says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. Christ followers will be persecuted in many places. God says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. And friends, when God's spirit is poured out, the result will be a church filled with passion, zeal, and enormous spiritual power. God will ignite kingdom passion in every heart. And quite honestly, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be left on the sidelines watching the action on the field. You see, in the midst of trouble, destruction, terrorism, national disasters, pandemics, false religion, moral decline, God says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. See, one thing I know about the spirit is that he comes like the wind. You cannot control him or predict him. You don't know where the wind of the Spirit will blow next. Now, during the days of the Reformation, Martin Luther time, many adopted Semper Reformanda as their motto. It means always reforming. The Church of Jesus is to be reformed and always reforming. That's a good word for us today. We have not yet arrived and God is not done with us yet. My prayer is that God pour out his spirit in our midst. And to that, I hope you join me in saying, O oh Lord, begin with me. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.